Welcome back to Investigate Joe Rogan, the podcast where I fact check and investigate things said on the Joe Rogan experience. This will be my final episode covering 1555 with Alex Jones and Tim Dillon. The first thing I will talk about is sort of an example of how it can be tricky to talk about Alex Jones. He says in this episode that the Illuminati was set up in 1776 to counter the American Revolution. That obviously sounds like a ridiculous statement, but the real Illuminati, as in the Bavarian Illuminati, which was a real secret society founded in Bavaria, was indeed founded on May 1st, 1776. They didn't actually have anything to do with America, like Alex Jones says, and most of the stuff attributed to them today is just theories, obviously. But there was a real group called the Illuminati. They were a real secret society, and they were really founded in 1776, which is a pretty funny coincidence. This weird mixing of actual facts with just pure conjecture and conspiracy theory is why Alex Jones is still around, in my opinion, and so famous. Well, that combined with his persona, of course. Later on, they talk about the so-called Franklin Child Prostitution Ring, and Alex Jones says that Senator John DeCamp exposed this whole child prostitution ring and that it was a sort of cult-like thing and that it was being run out of Omaha by Larry King. Not that Larry King. This is a different Larry King. And he went to his mentor... William Colby was a CIA guy, and then William Colby got killed later. So I'm just going to lay out everything about this case that is confirmed and is not speculation or conspiracy theory. John DeCamp did not expose anything for certain. None of the accused actually went to jail in this trial for anything related to pedophilia or human trafficking. Larry King went to jail for an unrelated embezzlement charge that was discovered because he was being investigated for this trial. William Colby, the CIA guy, really did know John DeCamp, who worked on this case, and he really did die in a canoe under suspicious circumstances. The actual case that was brought against Larry King, accusing him of running this whole pedophile human trafficking ring, didn't have any physical evidence or anything. It had two accusers, Alicia Owen and Paul Bonacci. They were both charged with perjury after other people who initially backed their statements recanted. Paul Bonacci is the more interesting supposed witness of the two. The reason some people think Paul Bonacci was actually telling the truth even though the court didn't see it that way, was because he was also involved with the Johnny Ghosh case. Johnny Ghosh was a paper boy who disappeared in 1982 when he was 12. And then two years later, another paper boy got kidnapped in the same area, in the same neighborhood. And then two years after that, another boy was kidnapped in the same place and none of them were ever found. So a lot of people think that 
this could have been part of some larger thing. But then again, it could have just been the same culprit. It's not exactly evidence of a big ring. But Paul Bonacci comes into this because he was in jail at the time, and he came out and said that he had met Johnny because he had been forced to work as a recruiter for this sort of pedophile network and that they had kidnapped Johnny. And he said he had actually helped them kidnap Johnny, but that he had been forced to do so. And he had also been abused by this network. Johnny Gosh's mother met with Paul, and she claims that he knew things only someone who had actually met Johnny would know, such as having a scar on his tongue, a birthmark on his leg, and that he stammered when he was upset. So the mother of the kid who disappeared was totally convinced that he was telling the truth. The police and the FBI never interviewed Paul, though, because they didn't view him as a credible witness, probably in part due to the fact that he has multiple personality disorder. Johnny Gosh's mother, unfortunately, also may not be the most reliable witness, since after all of this, she went on to make some other somewhat less believable claims, like that an adult Johnny had visited her decades later and said he was living under a new identity. She just didn't try to, I don't know, help him or anything, and he just left because he said he had to move on. So Paul Bonacci's connection to all that is sort of why some people think that the Larry King stuff is true. But the reality is that anything beyond this is just speculation. Alex Jones sort of portrays this case as being like an Epstein-type case where everything came out and it was all confirmed, but that's just not true. I will say that this case, the Larry King case, is not on the same level as, you know, Pizzagate-type nonsense, but facts in this case are pretty few and far between however suspicious it might seem. If you're interested in in this uh, case, you should watch the documentary Who Took Johnny, which is a real documentary, not a like lengthy YouTube video <laughs> or an InfoWars video. It is very interesting. This, of course, leads to some Epstein discussion later. And Alex Jones says that Epstein was connected to the CIA, MI6, and Mossad. And there's no real evidence of this, but there are people besides Alex Jones who have made this claim. One is Stephen Hoffenberg, who was a business associate of Epstein's in the 90s. And he published a book called Epstein, Dead Men Tell No Tales, which is a pretty good title. And in the book... He says that Epstein had all these connections to intelligence agencies. But the thing is, he didn't have any proof, and he's also not the most trustworthy guy because he went to jail for running a massive Ponzi scheme in the 90s. So he might not be the best possible uh, witness for this. Journalist Vicki Ward has also claimed that former Secretary of Labor Alexander Acosta said that when he was dealing with the original Epstein case, the one where Epstein just sort of got a slap on the wrist and basically just got off, she claims that he said he was told to back off because Epstein was connected to intelligence, and that's why Epstein 
got such a lenient sentence. But Acosta has since denied having said this. So it's a case of someone saying that someone said something, which isn't the most convincing. Jelaine Maxwell was questioned about Epstein's possible connections to these agencies in court, and she said she didn't know anything, but she's claimed to know a lot of things that she clearly knows, so that doesn't really mean anything. I think the fact that a federal court even asked her about this, it might show that it's at least a serious question, but then again, they could just be as misinformed as uh, the rest of these people. So I really don't know. It's certainly suspicious, but there's no hard evidence anywhere. Later on, they bring up a man who is always mentioned in these types of discussions, John Podesta. And Alex Jones says Podesta and the New York Times suggested that the UN could occupy the U.S. They didn't really. There was a New York Times op-ed piece written before the election that was called America May Need International Intervention that basically recommended Democrats appealing to the UN if Trump tried to steal the election with fraud or refused to leave office after he lost. Podesta was not involved in this. I don't really know how he he comes into this. Alex Jones is probably just always thinking about Podesta. So this whole thing isn't really true. It doesn't say anything about the UN occupying the country or something. Also, let's get one thing straight here. We all know America could solo the entire UN if we wanted to and kick them out in a few hours if they tried to storm the beaches of Florida or something. Let's, Let's be real here. On the topic of international organizations, Alex Jones frequently mentions the so-called lockstep document from 2010 in this episode, which he says details the elite's plans for setting up martial law and everything after a large virus. And what he is referring to in real life is a report called Scenarios for the Future of Technology and International Development that was published by the Rockefeller Foundation in 2010. And it is not a how-to explaining what they are going to do in the future. It is a hypothetical scenario, what-if type thing, talking about what could theoretically happen if there was a big pandemic. It is not at all what he says it is. I mean, why would they openly publish their master secret plan? You'd think they'd want to keep something like that under wraps in their secret vault under 30 Rockefeller Plaza or something. A bit later on, Alex Jones says that the crime rate has tripled in Minneapolis as a result of the riots and everything, but this is also not true. According to Star Tribune, a Minnesota paper, quote, Through last week, the city has logged 3,674 violent crimes, defined as homicide, rape, robbery, and aggravated assaults, up 17% from the previous five-year average for this period according to a Star Tribune analysis of police statistics. 17% is a lot different from 300%, although I guess ideally you wouldn't wouldn't really want crime to go up any percent. I will end with a bunch of small things that are not worth talking about in any great detail. I'm just going to 
blow through them here. Cops in El Paso will not show up at your house and arrest you if you refuse to take a COVID-19 test, like Alex Jones says they will. China did not openly admit to wanting to shut the U.S. economy down. People in England were not told to avoid looking at each other (laughs) to prevent the threat of COVID-19. At least I couldn't find anything about this. I wish I had, though, since that would be really funny and really British. Nancy Pelosi was not in China when Trump shut down flights from China. She was in Chinatown, San Francisco, (laughs) which is slightly different than real China. Sweden does not have the lowest COVID-19 death rate in Europe. Sweden is also not, as Rogan calls it, a country of small villages. Sweden has actually progressed slightly from its portrayal in The Seventh Seal. I found this comment very funny. The plot to kidnap the governor of Michigan was not being organized by FBI agent provocateurs although it was infiltrated and stopped by the FBI before they could actually kidnap the governor. Biden did not say that there would be endless lockdowns after he got elected. In fact, he has stated the exact opposite of this. However, I suppose we'll have to see, since, as everyone knows, not all campaign promises come to pass. Trump did not say that coronavirus could not be stopped with a vaccine. And lastly, Bill Gates did not say that we should shut down the economy for 10 years. He said we should shut down for 10 weeks, which is a little bit different than 10 years. Towards the end, they really bring things down a notch and get personal. Alex Jones talks about how he wants to retire since he's too stressed and he feels like he's dying. Rogan encourages him to get in shape, start exercising probably a good idea. On a bit of a personal note, Tim Dillon's frequent references to the fact that he would fall asleep to Infowars as a teenager, which first of all is probably a good way to totally fry your brain permanently, but it made me remember the first time I listened to JRE episode 911, which is the first Alex Jones one. I was really sick with a fever so sick that I didn't even feel like sitting up in bed to watch a movie or something. So I decided to listen to the episode while I just lay in bed. And falling asleep to Alex Jones discussing interdimensional vampire demons gave me horrible fever dreams that had such an impact on me that I stopped listening to JRE entirely for quite a while. So maybe, maybe it's for the best that this is the last episode I will make covering Alex Jones and Tim Dillon. Maybe, maybe I've spent too much time on this. I hope you enjoyed listening. Tell all your friends about Investigate Joe Rogan. And I will see you next episode.